Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. I'm recording this very late on Saturday morning, Saturday night, I guess, and so you'll hear this Sunday morning. So, look, it's like Christmas with football fans. I am so stinking excited. I'm, I, I mean, I, ah, dang, I love football. I'm so excited. Uh, today's Ask Zach, Episode 8. Ask Zach, Episode 8. How does Ask Zach work? We're reading questions from Patreon supporters. The way you a- submit a question is you go to patreon.com, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want. You can donate more than a dollar a month if you want because it literally does pay my rent. It's a huge help. But people submit questions, and then once a week, I go through the list of questions, and I pick the top couple questions and answer them on a full episode of, you guessed it, this is Ask Zach. Uh, if you donate, I do not guarantee to read your question. The only thing I do guarantee is I guarantee I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I look at it. I pick the top couple. I make them into a full episode. I pick whatever questions I find most interesting, and that is how Ask Zach works. I want to start with the first question of the day. It is from a, a man named Clutch God. <laughs> I think it's... I think his name is like Wyatt. I'm so bad. I know he has a real name out there. Totally forget it. He goes by Clutch God on Patreon. So Clutch God writes in. He says, hey, Zach, with the increasing need for quarterbacks ability to run around, extend plays and scramble. Do you think that a lot of quarterbacks from past generations who lacked this ability, like Peyton Manning, Joe Montana or Dan Marino, would struggle slash not be as successful if they played today or in the next 20 years? Do you think their mental ability and knowledge of the game could make up for their lack of the ability to scramble? Um, part of why quarterbacks today need to be able to scramble, you know, and here's what I mean. You don't need to run for yardage. Quarterbacks need to be able to use their legs to run for run sideline to sideline, keep a play alive, keep their eyes downfield so they can throw the ball downfield. If a sack is coming, if they're here, here's um, how, here's how I would put it actually. The quarterback position has changed in the last 20 years over the course of the last, really in the last six years, it's really evolved. But here's the big change. In the past, if an offense had the wrong play called, say the defense dialed up a great play call, and there's very little chance that your play call is going to succeed. It was on the quarterback at the line of scrimmage to either change the play or make a perfect decision to mitigate the effect of the great defense that was called. In present day, nowadays, young quarterbacks are doing this. If the offense is in a bad play, let's say you dialed up uh, a screen pass and they're running cover two, which means a corner is going to sit waiting for that running back screen. Maybe you have a blocked, maybe you don't. That's not a perfect analogy. Maybe, uh, maybe you called a, a run up the middle and they're blitzing like three guys up the A gap. What that means is they're going to come and stop the run. And so if you are a quarterback, you go, hey, this is a bad play call. Now, normally, if you're really, really smart, you change the play. But if you're in a bad play call and it's a passing situation, the quarterback today, in today's day and age would simply run around, extend a play, keep a play alive, and throw the ball downfield. In the past, the answer for old quarterbacks was, we're going to use our ability of the game, our knowledge, to change the play or put the ball in the right spot. The answer to, with young quarterbacks today is if the, there's a bad play call or something goes wrong, their answer is rather than mentally deal with it, they do it physically. They avoid a sack, they run around, and extend a play. Now, not always. The other way the game has changed is there's just an expectation that 
it should be more difficult for a team to get a sack. Quarterbacks, guys like Deshaun Watson have two guys come free. He'll bounce away, keep a play alive, and still throw the ball downfield. There's just, in spite of the fact that, yes, the position has changed, now you don't have to. Your answer to having a bad play call is to scramble and keep plays alive. But there's also an added expectation. you got to be able to run and avoid sacks. So the game has changed a little bit. The question is, would Peyton Manning and Tom Brady still be able to succeed today? Well, I think very clearly, uh, Tom Brady still does succeed to, like today. Tom Brady is fine. When you know the game as well as people like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, you don't need to be able to run around and extend plays because you have every answer. You have an answer to everything a defense can do. You can always counter because you know the game so well. Now, the problem is NFL teams are more impatient than ever. If you can't run the if you can't run around and extend a play, then you need to have an answer for every single thing an NFL defense can do. And nowadays young quarterbacks aren't given the time to develop to that spot where they have mastered NFL defenses and mastered their offense. Look at Josh Rosen with the Miami Dolphins. He's a guy who's not very mobile. He needs to be given time to master his offense and completely have com- complete control over the defense. I don't think he's going to get that. I don't think Josh Rosen's ever going to be given enough time to develop to the point where he can master an NFL defense the way Tom Brady or Peyton Manning has and did throughout their career. Guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady have the luxury of patience. Nowadays, guys do not. So if a quarterback can run around and extend a play, what that means, what it allows them to do is play sooner. Guys like Patrick Mahomes, um, Daniel Jones, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield even, uh, guys who can run around a little bit can play earlier in their careers because they can run and extend plays to make up for their limitations of understanding mentally. So I think you, you should master an NFL defense. Everybody should. But the added bonus is, it, is if you can extend a play and make up for that, great. But even if you've mastered an NFL defense, things just go wrong in football. Things go wrong. A rusher comes free or your right tackle misses a block. Compare Josh Rosen or Kyler Murray. The, the Cardinals literally had to make that choice. The Cardinals had Josh Rosen on the roster. They traded him away and drafted Kyler Murray and said, Kyler Murray just won Offensive Rookie of the Year. If your right tackle misses a block and Nick Bosa comes free after the quarterback, there's no chance Josh Rosen gets away. He can do everything right. He can make the right read, but you can't foresee, you can't plan for your right tackle to fall over and miss a block. Josh Rosen gets sacked in that situation. Kyler Murray can escape, run around, escape the sack, throw the ball downfield, or run for yardage. Mobility is more important than ever. You can still play if, you don't, if you're not extremely mobile. A lot of quarterbacks do. It's fine. But man, if I was an NFL team, I would be looking for a quarterback who is immobile, who can avoid a sack, who can run to extend a play. I don't need you to run like Lamar Jackson and run for 1,000 yards a year. But I'd really like my quarterback to be able to avoid a sack and run five to six yards towards the perimeter Extend a play, keep it alive, keep his eyes downfield, and throw the ball downfield. The ability to avoid a sack when rusher comes free, that is why mobility matters, and that is how the NFL has changed in the last six years. Yes, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, they've mastered NFL, the NFL game. They can still, that type of style can still work, but it takes more time to develop your mastering of an NFL defense. So if I was an NFL team, again, I'm going to repeat this, I would want a quarterback who is a little more mobile, and can run around. The reason why I answered that question first is because it sets up the next two questions from 
Uh, Sydney's got a question about the Dolphins, and Devin has a question about the Chargers. So first, we'll start with Sydney. Sydney writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, I'm a Dolphins fan, and with the Dolphins already having three first-round picks this year, do you think it would benefit them more to still draft Tua with the fifth overall pick, or do you think that the Dolphins would benefit from trading down from the fifth pick, receiving an extra first, and possibly a second rounder and drafting Jordan Love later in the first round? Oh, man. Uh, so, so currently, if you don't know the Dolphins situation, the Dolphins have three first-round picks, just to clarify for you guys. They have the fifth overall pick. That is their pick they earned. They have the 18th overall pick in the NFL draft in the first round. They got that from the Steelers and the Minka Fitzpatrick trade. They also have the 26th overall pick, which they got from the Texans and the Larry, Larry Tunsil trade. They also have two second-round picks. And then not only do the Dolphins have 14 total picks in this year's NFL draft, in next year's NFL draft, they have two more first-round picks. It's pretty ridiculous. The Dolphins are really setting themselves up to have a just gigantic amount of draft picks to build their roster in the next two years through the NFL draft. There are so many possibilities. One of them is that the Dolphins could keep Josh Rosen, a former first-round pick. He was drafted two years ago in the first round by the Arizona Cardinals. Maybe the, the Dolphins love Josh Rosen. If the Dolphins believe in Josh Rosen and they want to build around him, do it. Draft three starters in the first round of the NFL draft and build around the quarterback, the young quarterback, Josh Rosen. Now, the reason why I would advise against building around Josh Rosen is because he's extremely limited from a mobility standpoint. He cannot extend a play. It's really wild watching Josh Rosen and Ryan Fitzpatrick Ryan Fitzpatrick, the 39-year-old, 37-year-old quarterback, he's really old. He's in his late 30s. He can extend a play better than the young guy two years in the league, Josh Rosen, can. Josh Rosen is incredibly, incredibly immobile. He cannot avoid a sack to save his life. If anybody gets a hand on him, he's done for. And that nothing wrong with that, but the NFL has changed in the last couple of years where you want a quarterback who's mobile. So... That would if they don't dra- if they don't stick to their guns if they don't commit to Josh Rosen as their long term plan at quarterback, then so many possibilities open up. It is likely that the Dolphins are not going to draft Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow is rumored to go number one overall. He's the quarterback from LSU. It's rumored that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to draft Joe Burrow. That makes sense to me. Now, if some miraculous thing happens and the Dolphins have the opportunity to draft Joe Burrow, they should do that. He's the best quarterback in the draft. He's the guy I would want more than anybody. And I really think that Joe Burrow would be way better off with the Dolphins. Joe Burrow is going to go to the Cincinnati Bengals and really be wasted wasted as a talent, wasted his, his work ethic's not going to go very far. They're not a team motivated on winning a Super Bowl. Now the Dolphins, if they draft Joe Burrow, he'd be a massive star. They're building a franchise and he would be the perfect guy to build a franchise around. But that's not probably going to happen either. So the only reason now is you're probably going to get to a tongue of Aloha at the fifth overall pick if you're the Dolphins. The only reason I would not draft Tua. I think they're going to draft Tua. That's what I would do. I would draft Tua tongue of Aloha, the quarterback from Alabama. However, if so my, my, my problem with Josh Rosen is lack of mobility. Tua got hurt in college, and if he's medically unfit, to be incredibly mobile, that's a problem. I wouldn't draft Tua if he's not mobile. I want a mobile quarterback. 
Tua is more prepared to play uh, than other quarterbacks because it's going to come down to, really, the question was, Jordan Love or Tua? I think I think Jordan Love is incredibly, incredibly physically gifted. Jordan Love has unreal talent, but we're just not as certain that he will succeed. It's more of a risky pick because you're assuming you can make Jordan Love get better at reading defenses and better as a decision maker. So if it came down to Jordan Love or Tua Tungvaloa, I'd go Tua, but I wouldn't blame you if it was Jordan Love later because, again, you can build around him. Here's the benefit the Dolphins have. The benefit the Dolphins have is they have a massive advantage named Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick is an older veteran quarterback, and he gives them stability. Their day one starter next year in Miami is Ryan Fitzpatrick. He, will be, he could be their starter the entire next year, which means there is no hurry for them to play a rookie quarterback. That means the Dolphins could draft Jordan Love. He could sit for an entire year, get better, learn the offense, and then bam, step in next year and two years from now and be great and be a good quarterback. However, I will also acknowledge the Dolphins haven't been able to develop Josh Rose and what makes them think they would be able to develop Jordan Love. They haven't shown an extremely good ability to develop quarterback play. Also, if you're going to draft Jordan Love, multiple teams would love to have him. If you don't draft Jordan Love fifth overall, I don't know that he's still going to be there if you wait all the way till the 18th overall pick. That sounds ludicrous, but people are in love with how gifted Jordan Love is as a quarterback and as a thrower of the football. And a lot of quarterbacks this year, more than I can remember, need quarterbacks. So like teams like the Saints, the Patriots, um, there are a lot of teams that could trade up. The Raiders maybe might trade up to go get Jordan Love. So I, I think if it's, you can, get Tua. But if Tua has mobility problems, go draft Jordan Love. But I would, I'd be happy if they traded up to go get Jordan Love if, I was, if it was the Dolphins. But I think the options at quarterback for the Miami Dolphins moving forward, it's Tua Tungvaloa, Josh Rosen, or Jordan Love. I would not draft Justin Herbert if I was the Miami Dolphins. You don't need to. But that leads me to the next thing. So again, the, the three options, I believe the long-term plan options for the Miami Dolphins are Tua Tungvaloa, Josh Rosen, or Jordan Love. Or if somehow some miraculous thing happens and they can get Joe Burrow, that'd be incredible. I wouldn't draft Justin Herbert if I was the Miami Dolphins. Now, Devin writes into the question. Devin says, and, and but here's why, here's, first of all, here's why I wouldn't draft Justin Herbert. He's not, he's not as good as Tua, and he doesn't have as much potential as Jordan Love. If you can get Jordan Love, do it. And if you're going to get a guy who needs to play sooner, go get Tua who's more prepared and actually better than Justin Herbert. Does that make sense? Either go for potential or go for polish. Justin Herbert isn't better in either category, better than Jordan Love with potential, and he's not more polished than Tua Tungvaloa. It would make no sense for the Dolphins to draft Justin Herbert. So Devin writes in with the question. Devin says, Hey, Zach, with the sixth pick in the NFL draft, who do you believe the Los Angeles Chargers should take? This is assuming Joe Burrow goes number one, Chase Young goes number two, and Jeff Okuda goes number three. This seems to be the consensus top three picks unless something major happens as well as Tua going five to the Miami Dolphins. Most mock drafts have either Justin Herbert or Isaiah Simmons or one of the three top offensive tackles, blah, 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 with the selections at number six. If you were the Chargers GM, who would you pick? Who should the Chargers draft number six overall? Devin, I think that the Chargers need to draft, and I really believe this, they need to draft a quarterback who can play immediately. We, here's why. They just got rid of Phillip Rivers. The, the Chargers announced 
they're moving on from Phillip Rivers, which means that the Chargers need to draft a quarterback who can play immediately in the NFL. That takes Jordan Love off the table. Jordan Love is a really gifted quarterback. Jordan Love, the quarterback out of Utah State, is not prepared to play immediately. Which means that the Chargers, because they got rid of Phillip Rivers, the Chargers' day one starter next year, either the day one starter or expected to play by a very early point in the year, is going to be a rookie quarterback. Of the quarterbacks who are ready enough to play early next season, there are only three of them. It's Joe Burrow, Tua Tungavaloa, and Justin Herbert. It's likely that the Bengals are going to draft Joe Burrow. It's also likely the Dolphins are going to draft Tua. If the Dolphins can, if the Dolphins somehow pass on Tua and the Chargers can draft Tua, pull the trigger, draft Tua. He's better than Justin Herbert. But it's likely that the Chargers are going to end up with Justin Herbert. I don't love him. Uh, he's had some weird moments of inconsistency last year. Uh, I haven't done a full film analysis of him yet, but I'm, I'm really hesitant to embrace Justin Herbert. He's just not as good, in my opinion. But unless something crazy happens, I believe the Chargers are going to draft Justin Herbert, and they should. If it comes down to Justin Herbert or Jordan Love, the Chargers got to go with Justin Herbert because he's ready to play now, and the Chargers need a quarterback who can play week one to five, somewhere in that early part of the year. Because maybe they, I think of like, Oh, what's their quarterback? They have like some older veteran guy who like it, it wasn't Josh Johnson. It's somebody who it's Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor's not going to be the long-term starter in San Diego. I don't care who you are. He might start week one, maybe two, maybe even week three. But by week four, the Chargers are going to be playing a rookie quarterback. Jordan Love won't be ready by week four. Justin Herbert just might. And so the Chargers, in my opinion, if there's no other option, the Chargers have to draft Justin Herbert because they need a franchise quarterback of the future. Now, if it was me, personally, I'd rather have Jordan Love. He's got a higher ceiling, in my opinion, than Justin Herbert. Um, and this is all, I haven't done a film analysis on any of these guys yet. This is just what, well, the limited film I've seen, I go, I think who's got a better potential future in the NFL, Jordan Love or Justin Herbert? Jordan Love. But you need a guy who can play immediately, and the more polished quarterback is Justin Herbert. You got to be pretty confident that you can mold Jordan Love into a good quarterback because he's not going to have the ability to play early in the year. You need to give him time to develop. And I don't think the Chargers have the luxury of time to allow a young quarterback to develop. Because they got rid of Phillip Rivers, they're going to need a quarterback very early in the year to play as a rookie. And that guy for them, I believe, is Justin Herbert. Okay, uh, Jonah writes in. Jonah says, Hey, Zach, I know everyone is analyzing the 49ers defense versus Patrick Mahomes and that situation. But do you think that the 49ers offense and play calling are diverse enough to pick up the slack if our defense has a magical, if the defense has a tough time against the Chiefs' magical offense? So if, if the 49ers' defense struggles against Patrick Mahomes, can the 49ers' offense pick up the slack and score points? And the question literally says, is the 49ers' offensive play calling diverse enough? Yes. Absolutely Yes. Go watch the New Orleans Saints game. Week 14, the 49ers beat the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans 48-46. to They were running trick plays, reverses, really creative running game. And Jimmy Garoppolo was really good. But the 49ers pulled out the entire bag of tricks in that game. Yes, their play calling is clearly diverse enough to keep up with a guy like Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion. The 49ers can score a lot of points. They can do it in a hurry. 
Here's the only concern. I don't have very many concerns about the 49ers offense. They can run the ball incredibly well. They've got good receivers. They've got a great tight end and a really good quarterback. There's only one nitpicky concern you can come up with if you want to be concerned about the 49ers offense. That would be Jimmy Garoppolo's interceptions. Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers quarterback, threw 27 touchdowns this year and 13 interceptions. Now, oddly enough, Jimmy Garoppolo had multiple interceptions in three games this year. He had two interceptions against the Steelers, two interceptions against the Cardinals week 11, and two interceptions against the Rams in week 16. In all three of those games, the 49ers found a way to win. In spite of Jimmy Garoppolo's interceptions, they didn't have much of an impact. They still won the game. In the three games the 49ers lost this year, the Falcons and the Ravens, two of those games, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't throw an interception. And only one game where Jimmy Garoppolo threw an interception did the 49ers lose. That was week 10 against the Seahawks. And it came down to the very last play. It came down to overtime. So yeah, the nitpicky weakness of the 49ers offense is certainly not play calling. It's potentially Jimmy Garoppolo's susceptibility to throwing interceptions. But so far this year, it hasn't actually proven to be much of a weakness because usually the 49ers win even when Jimmy Garoppolo throws one or multiple interceptions. So really to me, Jimmy Garoppolo's interceptions are not even that big a concern. They're just a sign he's aggressive and not afraid to take chances. They're not actually a thing that I think could hold them back. Now, here's the concern. Late in the fourth quarter, could Jimmy Garoppolo throw an interception? Possibly. But I have a strong belief he plays his best football. I've seen it so far this year. When this team needs him, Jimmy Garoppolo steps up and plays his best football. Late in games, in, on third down, on fourth down, Jimmy Garoppolo makes it happen. I don't, I don't see Jimmy Garoppolo falling apart. But if you want to have one thing to be concerned about from a 49ers offensive standpoint, could Jimmy Garoppolo's interceptions finally catch up with them and cause the 49ers a problem in the Super Bowl? Okay, uh, Kenny writes in. Kenny says, Kenny says, Hey, Zach, it's me, Kenny from Cal again. Hope we're doing well these days. I know the post-breakup life is hard. Ah, you go. Life goes on. I'm going through it myself, as you, uh, if you recall. Kenny, I'm sorry. Breakups. I went, ah, but man, I, I feel for you, man. Now, he says, but you seem to be making the most of your bright future. I'm trying. Keep up the great work, man. Anyway, I'm here to ask, here to hit you up with another question for Ask Zach. So Kenny's question is, during the Pro Bowl, we saw an experimental new rule that allows a team to attempt a 4th and 15 rather than an onside kick. What do you think of this experimental rule? Do you think that kickoffs or at least onside kicks need an update? Thanks, Kenny. Kenny, I love this rule. So the NFL has proposed a rule where instead of doing onside kicks, you have a 4th and 15 where you have one play to gain at least 15 yards. That would give you a first down to continue the drive. So if you're losing in a game, you have a better opportunity to get 15 yards potentially than an onside kick. I love this. And there's nothing wrong with onside kicks. Onside kicks are fine. But 4th and 15, in my opinion, is just more interesting. Now, I would personally, they did it from the 25-yard line. I would have a 4th and 15 from the 35-yard line. Because if you fail, you're literally just going to give up a field goal. It's very like instantaneous. At the, ver- at the very least, if, the, if not, the team's just scoring. But 4th and 15 is great because you have the offense against the defense, and you're running football st- uh, plays that you have practiced. You're running a defense you've practiced, so that the defense has an opportunity to do something they've worked on. And the offense can run their offense. 
Fourth and 15, yeah, that's a long, you don't have a lot of 15-yard plays, but you can run something, some kind of play to get 15 yards. These are things that teams work on rather than more of an obscure onside kick. And so, to me, fourth and 15 makes a game way more exciting than an onside kick. I would look forward to that far more. And if the NFL instituted onside kicks rather than, excuse me, the NFL instituted fourth and 15 rather than onside kicks, I'm all for that. In fact, that's what the XFL is doing. I love it tremendously. Nothing against onside kicks. Nothing. Onside kicks are not bad, but fourth and 15, in my opinion, is just better. That's more interesting from a viewing standpoint. And I would love to see the NFL Institute fourth and 15s rather than onside kicks. Brendan writes in, Brendan says, who is the funniest person you have encountered in your life or encountered in life? Um, Brendan, I, I love stand-up comedy. I'm a big fan of that. Now, personally, I don't laugh a lot in real life. Like, I mean, in person, um, there's not very many people I can think of that make me laugh and I don't laugh out loud very often. I'm not a guy, I'm not a big loud chatty laugh guy. Now, in my opinion, I don't know that anybody else on the planet would agree with this assessment, but in my opinion, the funniest guy I've ever met in my entire life is my best friend's dad. Uh, he's not very funny very often. He's normally, he, here, let me paint a picture of this guy. He's a dad's dad. He wears Romeo boots. He cleans the gutters. He builds stuff. He's always doing woodworking. He taught me a lot of about like adulting, how to fix a car, how to fix your roof, how to split wood. This is a man's man kind of guy. Not, he's not a very, he's not a happy-go-lucky, drink a beer kind of guy. He's very straightforward, fairly serious of a guy. But then occasionally he will just surprise you with an, a comment you're not expecting. Whether it's sarcasm or point something out, like a flaw in logic or just make fun of something out of nowhere. And nobody has ever made me laugh harder than my best friend's dad. There's not a person in the world because you don't expect it. It's unexpected. It's amazing. It's the rarity that makes it so good. He doesn't make jokes very often, but when he does, my gosh, he makes you just ball. Because it's like very serious, very stern, and then suddenly he'll make an off-put comment, and you're like, what? <laughs> Did nobody hear that? And often, literally, people miss it because they they're not paying attention to what he says. They write him off. I'm telling you, I'll, we'll be in a group of like 12 people, and someone says something dumb, and he'll, he'll point it out, and I look, and I'm like, uh, is no one laughing? How is nobody laughing at that? And I feel like it's just me, but it's because people literally don't listen to him and don't pay attention. It's like, he's the funniest man I've ever met because it, he has the ability to shock you and go, did he say that? And it's not like, it's not like a, a bad things. It's just things you don't expect. And that's why it's so great. Um, he's the funniest man I've ever met in person in my life. Now, there are two other people I want to give credit to that make me laugh. Um, number one, Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm. That show, Curb Your, by the way, actually, in person, my buddy Elijah makes me laugh pretty hard. We go get beers all the time. He's great. Uh, but Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm, that show, Curb, is, oh, that's my favorite comedy show of all time. I love it. The situations that poor Larry David finds himself in um, just make me laugh. He's just, he's like, he gets himself in trouble with social situations by opening his mouth. And I'm like, man, I, it's so relatable. I so understand. There's always people mad at him about what he's doing. And it's like, I just love that type of comedy. And then my favorite comedian of all time is Chris D'Elia. 
I love the way Chris D'Elia tells stories. Uh, he's got an amazing delivery. He's a great. He's got a good podcast too. He's just funny. Uh, but his Netflix specials are just the best. I love Chris D'Elia. I'm a big fan. He's phenomenal. And uh, those are the, some of the funniest people I've ever encountered. My best friend's dad. Uh, my best friend Elijah. Uh, him, he's not. I, I have multiple best friends. Elijah's in the Air Force. He's far away. But when we get a beer together. Man, it makes me laugh. Uh, Larry David, Kirby Enthusiasm is hilarious. And then Chris D'Elia is my favorite comedian of all time. Those are four people that have made me laugh tremendously throughout my life. Now, Liam writes him to the question. Uh, Liam says, how great is that all or nothing series on the All Blacks? That's the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team. He says, the mentality of that team is phenomenal and a class above the rest of the world and should be a role model for how any organization approaches competitive sports. I especially love how they always clean their locker room, win, loss, or draw after a game because no one cleans up after the All Blacks except the All Blacks. So they literally clean their locker room after they win, lose, or have a tie. They clean them after themselves. Thanks. Love the show. I've recommended you to my brother and other NFL fans. I know over here who are big fans of sports. Big love, Liam in the UK. Um, Liam asked a, a bigger question about rugby, and that was kind of the end of his question. I don't know rugby well enough to answer the question Liam had about rugby, but I did want to comment on the All or Nothing series because the other day I, I, I really struggle with sports. I'm kind of I'm weird because you listening, if you're listening to Strong Opinion Sports, you're a fan of sports, meaning that you watch sports when you want to relax and have a good time. For me, watching sports is work. It's a job. And so when I want to relax... I don't watch sports. I watch Star Trek or Survivor because I want to turn my brain off. And when I watch sports, I'm taking notes. I'm paying really close attention. But I was like, the, the other day I was sitting around going like, I, I wanted a break from football. I've been watching film for days. And, you know, I, I wanted to watch sports though. Because I was like, man, I, I want to relax and watch sports. It's been months and months and months since I have sat down, watched sports, not taken notes and just enjoyed the experience and not that, I, like, I enjoy football, of course, right? But it is slightly different when you're taking notes versus just relaxing on the couch, not even with your glasses on, just chilling, listening to what's going on. And so I watched that series, All or Nothing on Amazon, about the New Zealand All Blacks. That's a, a rugby team. And uh, it was amazing. It reminded me why I love sports, honestly, because it was just their stories. Uh, Rico Ayani is a, a young guy who was a rookie in that series who just kind of surprised a lot of people. And... For me, it reminded me, like, I love sports stories, and I love sports because I love the people wearing the uniforms. I love Kobe Bryant. I love LeBron James. I love Baker Mayfield, Tom Brady. I love the people involved. And so if you want anything to watch and you're just bored, go to Amazon. Go watch All or Nothing on Amazon Prime about the New Zealand All Blacks, their rugby team. It's a fantastic series, and uh, I learned something. I'm learning about rugby, which I never thought I would do. I'm not taking notes. I'm just relaxing. I'm having a good time, and it's a really good series. Okay, Rita writes in. Rita says, hey, Zach, first things first, I love your show. My first question is, as a quarterback analyst, which XFL quarterback are you most excited by and most intrigued by? Thanks for looking at this with your eyeballs. Uh, Rita, this is why I am so excited about the XFL, period. It's the quarterbacks. And I'm actually going to talk about multiple quarterbacks who really intrigue me. Most intriguing, actually, though, is former Ole Miss quarterback Jordan Ta'amu. He actually won the St. Louis Battlehawks starting quarterback job, which was a shock to me. I was like, really? Jordan Ta'amu is the starting quarterback in St. Louis? I couldn't believe it. 
because I expected him to be the worst quarterback in the entire XFL. I was like, he's going to play? You're going to play him? Really? And part of why I don't believe in Jordan Ta'amu is his senior year in college. He had a pretty solid, solid offensive line, and he had two phenomenal receivers. He had DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown at receiver. They were both some of the best rookie receivers in the entire NFL this past year. And the fact that he had two incredible NFL receivers on both sides of the field and was still awful at quarterback, making bad decisions, making horrible and accurate throws, I was like, there's no way Jordan Ta'amu is going to be a good professional quarterback. And in fact, he didn't make an NFL roster. And so it's pretty surprising to me. He came out of nowhere and became the starting quarterback for the St. Louis Battlehawks. I was like, really? Him? What, what kind of... I hope this bodes well for the league. Like, if he's a starting quarterback in this league, that might be bad. But maybe... I'm curious, how good is he? Or how bad is he? How much has Jordan Ta'amu progressed since his senior year in college? He's one of the most fascinating and intriguing quarterbacks in the entire XFL. Because I hope I've been saying XFL, not NFL. Blank FL. It's hard to remember. Uh, but in the XFL, man, I, I am so curious about Jordan Ta'amu because I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know what to expect. And I know he's going to play. And either it's going to be a beautiful success or a beautiful disaster where he falls apart and is terrible. Now, number two, I want to talk about the Houston Roughnecks quarterback situation because their starting quarterback is either going to be P.J. Walker, the quarterback from Temple, or Connor Cook from the former Mississippi, uh, excuse me, Michigan State quarterback, the former Michigan State quarterback. And uh, it's weird because they haven't announced their starting quarterback still, and we're about a week out from the XFL season starting, so... Personally, for me, I hope it's P.J. Walker. He's a better athlete. He can run around. He would be more exciting to watch. If I'm going to watch an XFL game, I want to watch a quarterback who can run and move around and extend a play and keep a play alive. Connor Cook, the quarterback out of Michigan State, is your boring kind of uh, pocket-passing quarterback, which is nothing wrong with that, but that's not the exciting football I want to watch. So personally, I hope that P.J. Walker is the starter. P.J. or Phillip Walker, depending on who you want to call him. I hope he's the starting quarterback in Houston. But keep your eye on the Houston Roughnecks. They still somehow have not announced their starting quarterback, which is very bizarre. Either that's because both are really bad or because both are really good or because it's possible Connor Cook is slightly better. But the Houston Roughnecks are hoping Phillip Walker and P.J. Walker ends up being the starter because he's got the ability to run. And they're just waiting until the last possible minute, hoping he'll win the job on his own. And if he doesn't, he still might be named starter anyways because you'd rather have a guy who can move around than a boring guy like Connor Cook. Now, number three, I'm really curious about the New York Guardians quarterback situation. Um, I'm actually going to go watch the New York Guardians play at the end of February in MetLife Stadium in New York. Um, I love both of the the quarterbacks they have. Their quarterback, number one, their QB1 for now, their starter, is Matt McGloin. He's a former Penn State quarterback. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. He walked on at Penn State Started there forever, did incredible stuff, was phenomenal. And he's a really scrappy type of player who he'll run around a little bit. He's not got the biggest arm, but he's got great touch, great accuracy. He finds a way to make it work. And he's I, the word I think of is scrappy. Matt McGloin is a scrappy quarterback. He's got a fun play style. I'd love to see him. He's currently the starting quarterback in New York. I can't wait to watch him. But their backup quarterback's also notable. I, I just... Luis Perez is one of my favorite quarterbacks in the entire league. It's kind of sad he got traded to, traded to New York. He might not even be the starter for the New York Guardians. 
So currently, the backup quarterback in the New York Guardians organization, until things change, unless something changes, the backup is Luis Perez. He was traded from L.A., and uh, I love him. I'm a huge fan of him. He was great in the AAF, the former Alliance of American Football League, and he does all the little things right. He was one of my favorite quarterbacks in that league. He's a former Division II college quarterback. He won the college like Division II Heisman Trophy. And he's had a really cool journey to go from a Division II football player to the NFL to the AAF and now the XFL. And he works his butt off. He used to beat, when he was in L.A. with the Rams, he used to beat their head coach into the facility every morning. And the coaches, like Sean McVay was going, how did you beat me here? Do you sleep here? Like, he just worked his butt off. And so I would not be shocked because of his work ethic. I would not be shocked if Luis Perez found a way to get on the field and play well if he ever gets an opportunity for the New York Guardians. Again, the storylines I'm curious to watch in the XFL. Jordan Da'amu. How good is he? Is he terrible? Is he good? Is he bad? Who will be the quarterback for the Houston Roughnecks? Is it P.J. Walker or Connor Cook? And then watch the New York Guardians quarterback. I love their starter, Matt McGloin. He's a scrappy, cool guy. And then pay attention to their backup. Will he ever get playing time? And if he does, how well will the New York, New York Guardians backup Luis Perez end up doing in the XFL? Okay, the next question is from Colin. Colin writes in. Colin says, hey, Zach, I'm a huge Derrick Henry fan. And I was wondering, do you think the Titans are going to pay him this offseason? And secondly, do you think the Titans, if they do pay him, would build an offense mostly around the run game? Um, so Derrick Henry, the Tennessee Titans running back is about to be a free agent. He was the NFL's leading rusher last year. He's phenomenal. He's like, people don't want to tackle him. He's just terrifying to play against. In my humble opinion, the Titans should not get rid of Derrick Henry. In fact, what I would say is the Titans need to bring Derrick Henry back because the Titans getting rid of Derrick Henry would mean them completely starting over and completely redesigning their entire offense. Their entire offense is built around Derrick Henry. They have a quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. He's pretty, he's fine. I'm not sure he's really the long, long-term plan, but he's good enough for now. But they're built around their running game. Now, the question I would ask about the Tennessee Titans and their potential future as an offense is, will they draft a quarterback? If I'm the Titans, I draft... Jacob Eason in the second round, the quarterback out of Washington. I draft him in the second round and have him ready to learn behind Ryan Tannehill for whenever he's ready to beat out Ryan Tannehill. He's like, do what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes, or the Chiefs had a good enough quarterback, Alex Smith. They brought in a really talented young guy to learn and get better and get ready. And then eventually they replaced Alex Smith with Patrick Mahomes. That's what the Tennessee Titans should do, in my opinion. Draft Jordan Love or draft Jacob Eason. Build around Derrick Henry, continue to play Ryan Tannehill, and then get ready for the moment you can replace Ryan Tannehill with a young quarterback. Derrick Henry, though, is 26 years old, and Derrick Henry just turned 26 on January 4th. Derrick Henry is a young running back in the NFL, and he doesn't appear to be slowing down anytime soon. He just had a monster season. He didn't get hurt. He finished the year healthy, and I mean, I don't know. I'd pay him. I would build around... Derrick Henry, I'd pay the man, I'd build around him, and I would build around his ability to run the ball. He wants to be in Tennessee, and if you're the Tennessee Titans, I would lean into it. I would embrace Derrick Henry and build around him. 
And I rarely say that about running backs. Usually I say, when a running back gets old, cut bait and walk away. But did you watch the Tennessee Titans at all at the end of the year? Their offense was entirely built around pounding the rock, running Derrick Henry a ton. They have no other options. If they get rid of Derrick Henry, they'd literally have to just completely redesign their entire offense, go back to square one and restart everything. They can't afford to do that. So most teams have the ability to walk away from the running back and replace him. The Titans don't. If the Titans don't build their offense around Derrick Henry, they have no other viable plan right now, at least not one I believe in and buy into. So if I'm the Tennessee Titans, yes, you pay Derrick Henry. Yes, you build around him. That's exactly the right thing to do. And then maybe think about drafting a quarterback to potentially eventually succeed Ryan Tannehill. Okay, uh, the next question is a question from Cole. Cole writes in, but I also want to acknowledge that with your eyeballs and Austin and a couple other people also had questions regarding Kobe Bryant. So Cole writes in, Cole says, hey, Zach, more of a sad question, and I, and I apologize for that. But what was your favorite things about Kobe? What was your favorite thing about Kobe? Personally, he was the reason I got into basketball, and his work ethic was something I'd never heard of before. And it motivated me to become a better player and a better person. So, first of all, Kobe Bryant's death, him and his daughter, their death was awful, really sad. Um, I mean, it's just uh, one of the most um, tragic things that's happened so far in 2020, and probably the most tragic thing so far in 2020, just a horrible thing that went on. Um, I will always be inspired by the way that Kobe Bryant worked. His work ethic is his legacy, in my opinion. It's what made him special, uh, his drive. And I'm not the only person who is inspired by Kobe Bryant's work ethic. A lot of people, I mean, social media still to this day is everybody po t posting and talking about Kobe Bryant. And so, in my opinion, though, after his death, Kobe Bryant will now have two legacies. Number one, his work ethic. Um, I, I, there are so many moments I love about Kobe. Um, I, I think, honestly, I don't have a favorite moment. I just, there are, there are too many, there's too many for me to like, pick a favorite mo moment about Kobe Bryant. I loved watching him when I was a kid with my dad on the couch, watching Kobe uh, and eating nachos with my dad. That's, he's a, my dad was a big Laker fan, still is. I'm, I'm, I don't have a favorite team, but... Uh, it was it was cool to watch Kobe with my dad when I was a kid, and um, the so one legacy Kobe will have is his work ethic. The other legacy I believe Kobe Bryant will always have after his death is that he will always be a reminder to me to slow down a little bit and enjoy the people in your life, enjoy the moments you have with your loved ones. Um, anytime I think about Kobe now and anytime Kobe's name gets mentioned or brought up, I'm always going to think about his death. I'm always going to go, man, Kobe died too early. Rest in peace. But anytime Kobe comes to my mind, it's going to be a reminder. Hey, Zach, slow down. Hey, Zach, enjoy watching a movie with your girlfriend. Enjoy that dinner with your brother. Enjoy hanging out with your dad. Enjoy time with your friends. Slow down. And enjoy the moments you have with the people you love because you never know when their time might end too early. And so, yeah, Kobe Bryant leaves a legacy of work ethic that I will always uh, appreciate and remember him for. But Kobe Bryant's legacy is now shifted because of his death and the way he died. Is He will also always be a symbol to me to say, hey, Zach, slow down and appreciate the time you have with the people you love.
Okay, guys, um, that's all I have. Those are all the questions I have today. I want to give everyone a, a reminder, though. I do this at the end of every single podcast. If you're struggling, please go get help. Four years ago, February 8th, 2016, my younger brother took his life. My younger brother uh, killed himself, and it was brutal. It's just the worst. It was heartbreaking, and I learned two really painful lessons from that experience. Number one is that my brother never shared his struggles. My brother was really having a hard time, but he never told anybody. And so I encourage you, talk to somebody in your life. Now, the suicide hotline, I'm required to talk about it. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. But go talk to somebody in your life. Go get professional help. If you're struggling, go get help. My brother never told me anything. One day I came home and my brother was dead on the floor. It was brutal, it was painful, it was miserable, it was sad, and it sucked. And number two is I didn't make it clear enough. That this is the other painful lesson I learned. Number one, go get help. Number two, I should have done a better job reaching out to my brother and saying, hey man, I love you. I'm here for you. If you need to talk to me, we can talk. I love you. I care about you. And my brother and I, we worked together. We were around each other all the time. We played football together. But yet my brother and I had very surface level conversations. We talked about sports, movies, video games, girls, and that was it. We had very... We didn't have conversations with a lot of depth. And part of that was because I wasn't vulnerable enough and comfortable enough having a conversation with a lot of depth with my brother. So I encourage you, don't be afraid to have conversations with depth. Don't be afraid to ask your friends, how are you doing, man? Like, seriously, I don't care about your girlfriend. I don't care about sports. How are you doing? Don't be afraid to have conversations like that that go beyond sports and movies and video games and surface level entertainment stuff. So again, if you're struggling, go get help. And don't be afraid to have those tough conversations with your friends and make sure they know how much you love them. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. Uh, enjoy the Super Bowl, man. I am so, so excited for that. I hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.